Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the awesome opportunity to be able to gather in your house and get back in your word once again. Help us now as we continue our studies, as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Bible study and the chronology plan, the timeline plan, you may call it. Picking it back up here in Genesis chapter 2. As we said last time, these chapter and verse breaks were not in the original writings. And some would suggest that chapter 2 shouldn't start until verse 4. And that these first few, first three verses of chapter 2 apply better to chapter 1. As we see here, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. This rest isn't that the Lord was exhausted and had to take a break. This rest, if you go back and look at the Hebrew words, means to cease or to stop doing something. He had reached a point where it was completion, so he, he stopped. But he established also a day of rest, which is why the translators chose to put that word rested in there, is because he gave us a pattern to follow in the commandments to honor a day of rest, to both honor God and his creation, as well as appreciation for what Opportunity has given us to take a break for a day. And all the commandments are designed for our benefit. The ones that are specifically designed to honor Him are opening up a good relationship with Him, thus we benefit. Those that are designed to love others are for the benefit of all society as well as ourselves. So all the commandments are set up for our benefit, just like this pattern here of seven-day week that he established and that take a day of rest. Now we get into verse 4. It gets into the generations. The generations are basically the, some detail here about things that happen. He goes back and looks at some of the events of the creation and puts him in a little bit more detail so we can get a clearer picture of what was going on. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, a couple of things I want to point out in this verse. You notice heavens, plural, because We've identified three different heavens, and we know that the two heavens he spoke of is where we have the atmosphere of, of our planet, where the firmament had divided the waters from the waters, and then when you go beyond that so-called bubble around the entire planet, you go into space, outer space we call it, would be the next heaven, and then the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. So in these two heavens, he gave us some details about creative 
process that he went through and what he put in those areas. But he didn't go into a lot of details about the third heaven, the creation of the angels or of Satan or any of those hosts. But he did identify the name hosts in the creation. But were those talking about the celestial beings? When were the celestial beings created? He doesn't list them specifically. But we know Jesus Christ spoke everything into existence. But there are certain things that the Lord has not given us revelation of. There are things that we will wonder and, and be curious about all the way up to the time that He chooses to reveal that to us in the latter days. So here we see the, some more details about the creation as He gets into it in verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth... And every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Here he's pointing out that he didn't just go out and sow a bunch of seeds and wait for stuff to grow. He created and spoke into existence fully formed, functioning plants at the, at the age of development he wanted them to be in, whether full maturity or in the process. So he created all of it in its perfect setting. And talking about no rain, because he has these waters separated in the upper firmament, that big vast area of rain, that moisture, that ice crystals, the snow, all that up in that area, all protecting the planet like a shield, creating the perfect greenhouse effect. And when you have a perfect greenhouse effect, you don't have to have rain because you have the moisture rising up as the day and night, hot and cold, causes the vapors to rise up, and it watered everything. If you've ever built a terrarium, in the same process when you design a terrarium, you don't have to add much water to the terrarium because it cycles back and forth. You put in the right amount, and you have very little opening out of that terrarium, and within that, it cycles. It creates a mist and waters the plants. Just as the Lord designed things back then, but we know as we get further in here, He had to change that in chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 there in the great flood. Verse 6, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And see, this is giving us some details on what happened on day 6 when he created man. And notice the difference here, that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This was not given to any of the animals. This breath of life from the Lord directly like that and him becoming a living soul. Because we know in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God, Trinity, Elohim, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, mankind, body, soul, and spirit in the likeness of God. Not identical to, but in the likeness, similar. 
in that. So we became a trinity when Jesus Christ breathed into us. When God breathed into us and gave us that living soul. That living soul is not only the life force, but also the spirit. Because that's what brings that soul truly to life. Because that life is the, the relationship with God in that spiritual level. And when we be, we're born into this world, we are born into this world spiritually dead because of the fall of Adam and Eve that we'll read about in chapter 3. All those that were born after they were created were born spiritually dead because of their disobedience. With an opportunity to become spiritually alive by being indwelt by the Holy Ghost and, and the Holy Ghost communion with our spirit and bringing us, as it says, quickening us back to life, bringing us back to life. That is the gift of salvation the Lord has provided for us. Once again, becoming a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. Our soul is the life force itself. Our body is very easy understood, physical existence, and then that spirit. That spirit is, is that gift that comes from the breath of God into us. And that spirit is what communes and communicates directly with the Holy Ghost who's in constant communication and connection to God the Father. It's creating us in that perfect perfect situation there, and that perfect relationship was there. Of course, mankind messed that all up, but we'll get into that later. Read verse 7 again. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison. That is that which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gahan. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekal. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Now, these names of these rivers were used for quite some time. These various rivers that were created at this time are not in the exact places where they were originally. These names were used again later because these names were given prior to the flood. Now, when the flood totally reshaped and remodeled this entire earth, there's no way those rivers would have survived the effects of the flood unless the Lord chose to keep them and keep them in their position. But it's most likely that these names and these areas that he's describing were added later after the flood, areas that they assumed or thought that this must be the area where Eden was and, 
And these names are given to those areas and rivers that you can still look up today. Some of the names have changed slightly, but there are rivers that are still on some of these four names that are over there in the Middle East today, especially the Euphrates. A lot of people hear about the Euphrates. So the, even local rivers, you can see rivers that there'll be a, a big flood, big storm or something, the river will change its course. There's no way that these rivers are in the exact same places that they were when this was written, written by Moses, when this was given to him, the wisdom of this, or when they were originally created in the positions and in areas where Eden was. Many suppose that of the location of, of Eden, but they're not certain of exactly where Eden was. Many have said that the, the reason that the Lord has preserved the Middle East in the way that he has is because that was the area. Some think that Eden was just on the very edge of the Persian Gulf. But others, like I say, that's a lot of speculation there. All right, as we continue, back over in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, in verse 20, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. So don't think that while he was naming all these critters, then it's kind of come to the mind of the Lord, well, wait a minute, and we don't have anybody for him to have. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. The only creation that he did this was mankind. He didn't take parts of the other animals and create their mates. No, man was different and woman different in that way. Very special and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Which woman meaning that? Taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man, excuse me, the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Now in verse 24, you see father and mother mentioned. There wasn't a father and mother before because there wasn't generations of people yet. And he also identifies wife. It's the first place you see the word wife used. So marriage is in there. So when you're studying this, you've got to understand that this was a revelation that was given to Moses that he's writing and he's using what he knows and understands at his time to apply to what the Lord has revealed him about creation. So he's 
thinks, okay, wife, that's his mates, or mates are wives. So he plugs that in here and we see the first use of the word wife. And interesting there where it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed of being naked. They were clothed in the righteousness of God. There was no sin. Therefore, the nakedness didn't, the physical nakedness didn't matter. But once they sin, then they realize their sin and they've lost the garment of righteousness that the Lord had upon them. And then they realize that they are naked. In chapter 3, we see this unfolding. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. This is the first place we see the word serpent. The serpent, as we know today, is a snake. And we know the name of Satan. One of Satan's names is the serpent or that old serpent. Satan is called the serpent because of what he does through this animal. Now, the serpent was more subtle. Subtle doesn't mean gentle and, and passive and kind. No, it means cunning and conniving. So he was very cunning and conniving. This was Satan in using this animal. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Just throwing out that question to eat, to see what her reaction would be. And a woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in which the midst, in the midst of the garden God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. An interesting point to put out here is where she says, Neither shall ye touch it. But when we have the record of the Lord telling Adam not to eat of the tree, he doesn't mention not to touch it. So where did she come up with not to touch it? Was that something that the Lord said to Adam but wasn't recorded? Or was that something that she came up with? Or was that something that Adam added to it and said, don't even touch it, just stay away from it, you know? We don't know. Really doesn't matter that much, but I've heard a lot of people try to point out is the importance of that, but it's really not that important. As it continues, And a serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Which was a lie, but that's Satan. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Why will they be knowing good and evil? Because evil is the disobedience to the Lord. When they are disobedient, then they know evil. And then they become as gods. Notice in the King James, it's not capitalized. You see the word gods, it's a small g. Emphasizing the pagan gods. Those that have lifted themselves up equal to the true and living God. As she was intending to do or wanting to do. Because she saw something that was appealing to her and the desire to have that knowledge, and to be equal to God. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Wise in what way? 
having a wisdom of understanding or information of knowledge that is evil is not something to be desired, but yet she did. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Two things to point out here. Satan did not go after Adam directly to try to convince Adam to eat of the fruit. He knew that if he got the woman to do it, that the man would just say, oh, okay, and go ahead and eat it. Just like, whatever you say, woman, I'll do it. And fell right into that. And that's what happened here. And notice the first reference of the word husband here. First reference, you'll see the word husband. So it took Satan to, to deceive Eve. But it didn't take much anything for Adam to be deceived or to go along with it. Eve just simply said, here, take, eat this. Oh, okay. And he did. Not a very good testimony for Adam there. It didn't take much to put him in that position of defying a simple order from the Lord. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Knew they were naked. Knew they had messed up. Knew that they had lost that cover of righteousness. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden, thinking that they were going to be able to hide from God. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He knew good and well where he was. He knew exactly what he had done. But this is an opportunity for Adam to step up and reveal what he has done and confess. But note what Adam does. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Very simple question given to Adam. This is where Adam should have said, yes, I have failed you, Lord. Yes, I denied your power and authority, went against you and did something you told me not to do. Please forgive me. That would have been the perfect place to do that. But he didn't. It's not my fault. Basically, it's what he's saying. It's your fault. And the woman's fault. Verse 12. And a man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Notice, it is the woman's fault that you gave me. So he's like, not my fault. It's your fault because you gave me that woman, and she told me to do it. Not wanting to take any responsibility for his own actions. So it's no wonder that we see today all around everybody all trying to throw blame off on somebody else. It's in our nature to do that very thing. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Or it's her fault. It's their fault. It's because of where I live. It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because of the government. It's you know, just all these excuses instead of accepting responsibility for their own behavior. It goes all the way back to Adam right here.
Verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Perfect opportunity now for her to say, Please forgive me, I have failed you. But no, what does she do? The devil made me do it. Or the serpent here. And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Like, not my fault, it's his fault. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Didn't give the serpent a chance of, of confession. No, nope, not to the animal, not to Satan. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. A physical change to that creature. What the serpent was like before, we don't really know. But a physical change came upon that creature, and also a change came upon Satan. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, enmity being a hatred or a dislike, becoming an enemy to or enemy of. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you get that? Well, let's look at this. It's also a prophecy of a virgin birth. Because this is the first mention you see of any reference to her seed. The seed is always of man. Man's seed, not the woman's seed. But here we see her seed, meaning a descendant of a woman, her seed, because the virgin birth, Mary being the one who is the virgin, giving birth to Jesus Christ. So here we see the prophecy of the virgin birth of, of Jesus Christ by way of Mary, her seed. And here it says, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Bruising the head of Satan is when Jesus Christ raised from that dead. Took on all the sins of all mankind, raised from the dead. Satan was wanting to end Jesus Christ, made attempts all through history to destroy the bloodline and destroy Jesus Christ before he would be born so he could not become the ultimate sacrifice and have the opportunity of salvation for all mankind. Didn't want that. But in his triumphant resurrection from the grave, he bruises the head of Satan. And notice, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The bruising of his heel is the bruising of the heel of Jesus Christ while he's on that cross. Because the way the cross is designed, they have to push up with their heel and raise up a little bit to gasp for breath while they're on the cross. So that's a prophecy that is prophesied all the way back there from the beginning and fulfilled. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. 
In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Coats of skins. God killed those animals or a animal, thought to believe a lamb, and made these skins into coats and gave them as a covering, indicating a prophecy of the death of a lamb to cover sins. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, dying to cover our sins, His blood. And here, a reference to that, going all the way back. That's why they believe this animal that was killed for these skins was a lamb. One, maybe two. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The tree of life. The next reference we see to the tree of life is in the new creation, in the new heaven, in the new earth. Then there'll be another tree of life. But that's all we have time for. We'll pick it back up in chapter 4 where we see the beginning of the family of Adam and Eve. But let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you all so much for the time you've given us to be able to get into your word. Help us always to stay hungry, to dig deep in there, to find that message you want us to receive. Encourage us to share that with others as well. We truly thank you for all of it. And thank you all so much for the many blessings that you pour upon us and for salvation that you have given us, that awesome opportunity for forgiveness when we have failed you. Thank you once again as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.